Good morning, everyone. My name is Maria, and I'm part of the staff team here at Restored. Hello. So we are officially a couple of weeks into the new year, which is the official time of making and setting new goals, right? So how many of you are into goal setting? Where are my goal setters at? Woo! All right, all right. I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm glad I'm not alone. Um, so this year, uh, I set a new goal that I haven't attempted in a very, very long time, but this year I'm gonna go for it. I have decided to go on a weight loss journey. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Naturally, um, I do feel a bit insecure sharing this with you, right? Like there is definitely like some shame attached with being overweight and it's something that I think I've struggled with almost my entire life. Um, and for many years, I actually did try to lose weight. Um, I tried keto and CrossFit at the same time. Um, pills and paleo. I skipped breakfast a lot. And the thing is that year after year after year, I would fail. I would quit carbs completely and I would fail. And it makes sense that I would fail because if you ever quit bread or tortillas, you have lost already. That is no way to live, okay? <laughs> Let's just get that clear. Um, I would take up running and run a ridiculous amount of miles and I would fail. Like liquid diets, sugar-free diets, chicken and vegetable only diets, and I would fail. I would make the most drastic changes and I would fail. And so I quit trying. And at that time, all of my approaches to weight loss had been so extreme that every time I thought about trying to lose weight again, I would feel paralyzed by the idea of trying to lose weight because of what I believed that would actually require of me. Extreme diets for a long time were my approach to losing weight and they didn't work. And what they ultimately did was they left me overwhelmed and unable to take any effective or helpful steps to actually lose weight. Now, maybe you don't struggle with having extreme expectations of what it would take to lose weight. Let's be honest, some of you are crushing the back squats and burrito life balance. <laughs> but many of us, we often approach growing in our prayer life the way I used to approach losing weight. We have this all or nothing crash diet approach to, uh, to prayer that probably isn't sustainable for most of us. So we decide, so when we decide, sorry, so we decide we need to get serious about prayer and then we hear some Christian advice on prayer and it can feel unrealistic. Things like needing to wake up like really early, say like 4 a.m. every day to make sure that you start your day with the Father. Needing to do something that might feel pretty unnatural to you, like praying in tongues. Now, if tongues is your thing, that's great, but if they aren't, <laughs> it can be a non-starter for your prayer life, you know? Or needing to remodel your house or, uh, so that you can build an entire set-apart prayer room. Or needing to pray for a really long time, like hours at a time or needing to pray perfectly without ever being distracted or disturbed in any way that would divert your attention from God. Many of us, we feel overwhelmed with what we believe having a healthy prayer life would require of us, that we quit trying. 
Maybe you have heard super Christian prayer warrior types talk about prayer like this, like what we just mentioned. And it intimidates you and it leaves you feeling inferior to the people around you who would talk about prayer this way. And maybe you have felt paralyzed into prayerlessness because of these presumptions. And just like I mentioned with my weight loss journey, when we have to do a bunch of extreme stuff just to get started, we think, I'm not ready. And so we never start. Which brings us to today's message. It's on, you guessed it, prayer. And my message today is called The Connected Life. And this message on prayer will continue our About That Life series where we are looking at what it means to actually follow Jesus according to his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6. And today we're going to look at the next section where Jesus himself shows us both why and how we should pray by addressing both the motivation and the method behind prayer. So if you have Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. You guys ready? All right, Jesus says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Jesus here is addressing the first aspect of prayer, which is the motivation behind why we pray. And in this section, he is telling us that there are people who pray, but with the wrong motivations. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage from the message goes like this. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. The people that Jesus was talking to here, their motivation to pray was either to impress people or because they believed they could impress God. And sometimes this is true of us, but it shouldn't be. Attempting to impress people or God just perpetuates our prayer paralysis because it makes prayer an anxiety-inducing activity. But prayer is not a performance in some grand production for a distant deity. It is so much more beautiful than that. Jesus says, and we're going to get into it more in a second, but that when we pray, we are praying to a loving father. 
who accepts us in our simplicity. So the gospel, what it does is it fundamentally changed our relationship with God. So prayer moves from a performance-oriented activity to where we can connect with God regardless of our performance. So ultimately, prayer is about talking with our gracious Father. And it's actually the opposite of a performative religious activity. So prayer was something that we see Jesus regularly doing and modeling for his disciples. In fact, in Luke 11, verse 1, there's a moment where Jesus is praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So the disciples, they would have spent many days like traveling with Jesus and experiencing his ministry. And yet they did not say, Lord, teach us to cast out demons or teach us how to preach or even teach us how to perform miracles. They asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. They saw something in Jesus, something in how he prayed and in what prayer did to him that it led them to ask above all else, teach us to pray. And what follows in the account of this moment in the book of Matthew is that Jesus generously responds by teaching his disciples what we, what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer. In other words, this is the method by which Jesus taught his disciples to pray. You could also call this method a tool. So quick sidebar, at my house, Jackie Rogers has been given the appropriate nickname of the Handy Ma'am. Um, and the reason that she has received the honor of this nickname is because if a faucet starts leaking or a dryer breaks or a new piece of furniture needs to be assembled, she is our gal. The reason for this is that we know that we can trust that when those things need attention, Jackie will grab her toolbox, she will look through her various tools, and she will know the right one that is needed for the job at hand. For the record, Andy's not lazy. Jackie just really enjoys this stuff. <laughs> In the same way, with prayer, there are different tools within different traditions in church history and different ways that we can pray depending on our preferences and personalities and seasons of life. And today, all I want to do is give you one tool for your prayer toolbox. This is by no means the only way to pray, but it is something that I think is extremely helpful and cultivating a life of prayer with Jesus. Make sense? All right. So let's get back into our text, beginning in Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Since the earliest days of the Christian church, disciples of Jesus have understood that this, the Lord's Prayer, was not just another prayer, but that it is the prayer that teaches us to pray. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther called the Lord's Prayer the very best prayer that ever came to earth or that anyone would have ever thought up. Yeah, big endorsement. So how might we summarize the best prayer of all time? I'm glad you asked. We can summarize it this way. Jesus teaches that prayer is talking to our Father 
about our struggles and asking for help to do his will, which is actually my outline for today. Jesus' recommended prayer method is one, talking to our Father, two, about our struggles, three, and asking for his help, and four, to do his will. So let's get into the first part of Jesus' model prayer. Prayer is talking to our Father. So this is taken from the first line in the Lord's Prayer in verse 9, where it says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. When we are talking to our Father, it helps us remember ultimately like who God is. So this beginning line teaches us three things. It teaches us who God is relationally to us, who he is positionally to us, and how we respond to who he is in light of that. So you may have heard it said that Jesus, in using the words, our Father, forever changed our access to intimacy with God in the way that we pray. You see, the scriptures don't teach that every human is a child of God. To pray with intimacy with God, it's actually a privilege for the follower of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that it is for all who receive him, who believe in his name. It is to those that he gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Theologian Kevin DeYoung says it well. It is not our natural human birthright to call God Father. It is our born-again spiritual birthright. In the Old Testament, the word father is used only 15 times in a religious sense, but in the New Testament, it's used 245 times. And so relating to God as our father, it's a foundational part of our prayer life. And the reason I bring this up is because even something as foundational as God's fatherhood or our adoption can become so familiar in our heads that we forget it in our hearts. And what I mean by this is that God as our father can so easily become an empty theological concept that doesn't actually impact the way that we approach God in prayer. So many of us don't pray because we don't believe that we have a father who is safe, who cares for us, who loves us, and wants us. When we're able to see God as father, then we can begin to cultivate true connection with him. We begin with our Father because prayer cannot be separated from the depth of our own trust and relationship with God. A.W. Tozer, a pastor from about 100 years ago, famously said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When you pray, how you pray, how often you pray are all contingent on what you know and believe about who God is and how you believe he will respond to you. So every time you come to pray, Jesus wants you to know that you are not just coming to anyone, but to a father who is faithful to receive you. So the Lord's Prayer continues, our father in heaven. So a few years ago, I went on a mountaineering expedition in northern India. And three friends and I had a goal to climb a 25,500 foot mountain. To be honest... I'm not very good with understanding the scale of measurement, so I don't think I fully grasped what that meant. Like 20,000 feet, uh, sounds doable, you know? <laughs> um, no reference. Um, on this expedition, we climbed through the night and hoped to summit around noon the next day. It was a long journey, and all I remember is taking step after step after step after step in the dark, looking down at the snow, and when I finally reached the summit of the mountain the next morning, 
One, I was relieved. And two, when I lifted up my eyes for miles and miles and miles, all I saw was an endless sea of snow-capped mountains. And in that moment, all I could think was, whoa. This new vantage point, looking out above over the mountains, it made me feel so small in the best way. Most of us have probably experienced something like this ourselves, whether on a hike or watching an incredible sunset or when your kids were born and you held them for the first time. These moments, they inspire awe. And so when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, what he is doing is he is lifting up our eyes, he is changing our perspective, and he is inspiring awe. Because when we take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our anxieties and off of our fears and we look at God in his transcendence and in his power and in his glory, everything else begins to seem so small. So the next part of our prayer says, your name be honored as holy. Or as the New King James Version says, hallowed be your name. To hollow means, may all the world and all created things see God for who he is, and may his human creatures especially adore and obey him. There's a reason that Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. It is because this puts everything else in the right order, and it reminds us that the rest of our prayers flow from this. In summary, we begin with worship. We begin with simply just talking to our Father, and it could sound something like this. Father, good morning. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for being my Father and your King. Thank you for giving me this life. It doesn't have to be grand. It just has to be genuine. So the next thing Jesus teaches us is that prayer is talking to our Father about our struggles. So this is a part where we respond to basically what we've just prayed. So verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you see the word kingdom here, think rule and reign. So we live in 21st century America, so we haven't had to deal with kings and kingdoms ever. Um, but historically, and all the way back to biblical times, this was actually the reality. So kings would rule over a specific region and an area of land and a people group. If times were peaceful, each king would reign over his people in a way that he saw fit. And the people would follow the king's rules um, according to his reign. In other words, they would live according to his will or his desires for his kingdom. If the day came when a king was more powerful than another and he decided to conquer or take another king's land and people, and if he succeeded, he would then become the new king of those people. With a new king ruling and reigning, the people would now live according to the laws and the ways of the new king. They would no longer follow in the ways of the old king. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are someone who has a new king. So when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are acknowledging that we are no longer living our lives according to our rule and our reign and our perceived wisdom, but according to God's. We want to live according to his will for that day. So 
another word for this is surrender. So at salvation, we surrender to Christ as our new king. And then every day when we pray, we're surrendering to God's will and wisdom. And we're asking him for his rule and his reign to come in every part of our lives. So it begins with ourselves and then outward to our spouses, our kids, our family, our jobs, our coffee shops, our neighbors to San Diego and the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done is about seeing the rule and reign of God come to every aspect of our lives and our world. So we've covered talking to our Father about our struggles, and now we're moving into the thing Jesus teaches here, which is that prayer is talking to our Father about our struggles, but it also involves asking for his help. So most of us naturally begin our prayer with asking for help for our needs, but the Lord's Prayer doesn't actually model that. God definitely cares about our needs, and we should bring him our request, as we're going to see, But beginning with God's glory, beginning with who he is, it helps us to ask for what we actually need. Our next verses, Matthew 6, 11 through 12, say, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So these next two lines invite us to pray about both our resources and our relationships. So most of us, when we pray about our needs, we're praying about these two things. So let's start with resources. Give us this day our daily bread. And here, Jesus is teaching a profound lesson on dependence. So I mentioned earlier about mm, my weight loss journey that I've been on for a few weeks now. And how in the past, my strategy was to just go hard on extreme diets and exercise. Um, But to be honest, my preference would be to just eat one healthy meal, do an intense run on the treadmill if I had to, and then boom, done. Fittest can be forever. Like, that's my dream. My dream is that my journey would be more like one day I'm fit and in exceptionally good shape, and that's it. Like, I never have to think about it again. Doesn't that sound nice? I think it sounds really nice. Um, I want to be changed in a moment and be done. But that's just not reality. In the same way with prayer, an author named Kevin DeYoung points out, we'd like to pray, Father, Give us in this moment and for every moment, for the rest of our lives, everything we need. Boom, done, finished. (laughs) We've got a lifetime supply of bread lined up in heaven, end quote. But again, this is not reality. The truth is that God is the source of everything we have, and it is ultimately because of him that we have anything. We're completely and daily dependent on him for life. Now, It might not always feel this way in our modern, like, Western, wealthy world, but it would be foolish to believe that the way we live and the things we have are ultimately because of us. Like, if he did not want us to eat, we would not. If he did not want us to have the health that we do, we would not. If he did not want us to live, we would not. Every aspect of our life is a gift that God graciously gives us. And when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are reminded that God is generous and we are needy. Let me say that again. We are reminded that God is generous and we are needy. So when we come, so we can come to him with our request for our resources, knowing that he will listen and answer us. So the second aspect of this line of prayer is relationships. Um, Some of us are most aware of our need for help in our relationships. Could be your spouse, 
or your parent or a difficult supervisor or client at work. Relationships, just like they matter to us, matter to God. When we pray this prayer, when we bring our relationship concerns to God, it allows us the space for God to restore our broken relationships. So when you ask God for help in your relationships, he might bring to mind someone you need to apologize to or clarify something with or just reach out to see how they're doing. So if you think about it, if you did this every day, like you ask God, is there anyone I might have offended or hurt yesterday that I need to apologize to? Is there relational awkwardness with anyone that I might need to reach out and clarify or check in with? Or it could be more future-focused and positive, like is there anyone you want me to bless today or send encouragement or get a gift for or serve? One author says, we come to a place of relational alignment in this moment of prayer. And this requires our concession of any sin that is revealed leading to confession and restoration, both vertically with the Lord and horizontally with others. Christians are a forgiven and forgiven people, and this element of prayer, it addresses the inward realities of our hearts to align us with the heart of God. End quote. And after we've come to our Father with our struggles and our needs, we then remember that everything we do, we want to do in accordance with his will. We ask God, is there anything he wants us to do that day? This is where we tell God that we are open and ready to do his will, and these are prayers of readiness. So the last line of the Lord's prayer says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we pray this prayer, what we're doing is we recognize our own inability to overcome the temptations and difficulties of daily life. The reality is that we have a real enemy, and the scriptures tell us that he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Which means that we should expect that in this life, every day, we will face temptations and we could face difficulties, difficult circumstances. But God, through his Holy Spirit, can give us the wisdom that we need to succeed and overcome all that life and the enemy would put in our way. Basically, this is looking at your schedule with God and inviting him into a conversation. So you look at your schedule and you ask yourself, where do you need God's help today? Is there a decision you need to make or a conversation you need to have where you need God's help? Is there a part of the day where you know you're likely to be tempted? Looking at your schedule ahead of time and being prepared helps you to be aware that you need help, and it positions you to ask God for the help that you need today, knowing that he did not leave you to figure it out on your own, but instead positions himself as your helper. Like, think about this. Like, when we don't come to our Father, like to God about our struggles and ask for help to do his will, we are actually missing out on something that could unburden us from our anxieties, like something that can give us courage when we lack it and a source of wisdom for every part of our life. We have a father that has so many resources for us that he wants to give us to go about our day and all we have to do is ask. This is how we should pray. Talking to our father about our struggles and asking for his help to do his will. As we close, 
30 minutes. Andy told you, I got you. I wanted to share one last thing about my weight loss journey. This is the first time in my life that I am attempting to lose weight without a crash diet or an extreme overnight change of lifestyle. Instead, I've begun making like small incremental changes in my life and how I eat and move and that I'm hoping over time will compound to help me not only lose the weight that I want, but to become the person that I envision and desire to be. One day, God willing, I will crush my goal. Um, but it's unlikely that I will see results right away because often lasting change takes time. And the same is true with godly growth like and rhythms of prayer. It is small incremental changes and small moments of prayer that ultimately will help us to live connected lives of prayer with God. Lasting growth stems from a lifetime of faithfulness and daily dependence on God, not a few moments of spiritual intensity. So ask the Father who gives you the Holy Spirit to teach you and guide you and give you the grace to be faithful each and every day of your life as you seek to connect with him in prayer. And so right now to practice prayer, I'm going to call up one of our elders, Andy, and the worship team. Thank you, Maria. Good up for Maria. Well, uh, you guys uh, hit the lights, Kaylee. Thank you so much. Um, uh, so right now, uh, I don't want to go too long here, but before we take communion, we're going to sing one song, uh, take communion. But before we do that, I just want to um, have a moment where we pray. Uh, and so um, if you're here, and by the way, if you don't want to do this, you're uncomfortable, you're not a member, you're new, whatever, uh, no pressure. But for those who call Restore Home, I want to challenge you to just take a moment to pray. And we're going to do it silently. Um, but the worship team is going to strum for a little bit. But as they do that, um, I just want to start out, um, if you're able to close your eyes, to just take a second to get present. God made you a embodied soul. Your body is a part of you. It's not like a separate thing. Um, your body is you. It's with you. And so um, just feel your, um, feel your back in the chair. Feel your feet on the ground. Slow down. Try to pay attention to your breath. Slow down your breathing. It's not a weird new age trick. It's just getting present to the body God's given you. Not scrolling on your phone, not anxious about what's coming up, but just being here for a moment. Knowing that in this moment, in your seats, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are absolutely adored by the Father. In this moment, in your seats, you're loved. That's the truth about you in this moment. Whatever you got going on in your life, you're still loved where you need protection from the enemy, where you're experiencing temptation, where you have uncertainties around relational issues, where you need resources and help and wisdom that you don't have right now. All that's all true, but it doesn't change the fact that you are one whom Jesus loves, whom the Father adores, who the Spirit indwells. So just keep your eyes closed. I want you to pray in your own way something like, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for hearing me. Just 
thank him for being a father. Next, I want to take a moment. Uh, just keep your eyes closed. I know in this room we need help. Not because you're a <laughs> more messed up room of people, but because we are people. <laughs> there is sin. There is struggle. There is pain. There is suffering. There is wounds. There are disappointments. There's big decisions to make. And so right now, again, in your own way, I encourage you to keep your eyes closed and now to just say, Father, Please help me with that situation that feels too big for you. One of my favorite things about my kids is that they, they run to me when they have problems. Um, I, have to, I have to reinforce that they shouldn't come to me. They're going to stop. They assume I want to help and that I can help. <laughs> In this moment, talk to the Father and ask for his help. Father, please help me with blank. <coughs> Another prayer you could pray is, Father, please, and just ask him to do things. Father, please give me, please, whatever it is. we need you like we need you we need you we need you we don't have what we need to make it in this world on our own we need you we need you in our marriages we need you in our singleness we need you as we wrestle with anxiety as we wrestle with our sexuality as we wrestle with our future as we wrestle with issues of identity we need you to speak Father, thank you that you love us, that you see us, that you're for us. And the ultimate proof of that is in our circumstances in any given moment. It's the cross and resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel. And so, Lord, as we move to communion to close this gathering and we take communion, would you remind us that you have offered us the help we need, the greatest help we could ever need? says if, if he didn't spare his own son how much more is he for those who are in Christ Jesus if when we were his enemies he gave us his son how much more is he for us now and Lord I pray as people take communion they would believe they have a father who is for them if I gave Jesus for you I'll do anything for you 
I'll give you what you need. Maybe not what you want, but I will give you what you need to get you where you need to go. And so Jesus, thank you for reconciling us to a father like this whose presence we can be in. And it's in your name we pray.